Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Mom, I love you. Mom, I love you. Mom, I love you. Mom, I love you. Mom, I said I love you. Mom, mom, why, why won't you say it back? Mom, mom, please. Well, I, I, I love you. Why? I'm not going to say I love you because you mess up all the time, because you're a failure, because you're a loser. Why would I love you? You don't do anything right. You mess up. You don't do what I tell you to do. You don't do things the way I want them done. You mess it up. You did this and you did that and you did that. Why would I say I love you? Get out of here. Get out of my face. Go away. Go to your room. Don't say those words to me ever again. Don't speak to me that way ever again. Do not tell me you love me because I will never love you because you are a loser. Now, what do you think that kind of conversation has? What kind of impact do you think that type of conversation has on a child. What do you think that type of conversation has on a teenager? Where the child is saying, hey, mom, I love you. Mom, I love you. And the mom's response is, no, I'm not going to say that to you. You're a loser. You mess up. You, you fa-. I mean, there was a lot of other words used, but you get the idea. How, how does that impact a child? Now, that's not a fictional story. That's taken from my own life. I remember them vividly, one when I was little, and a second one was as I got a little bit older. I was working at Albertsons in Abilene, Texas, and I usually worked late at night. And as I would come home, when I got home, I would walk over to where my mother's bedroom was and say, hey, mom. I'm home. I love you. Mom, I love you. And she wouldn't respond. She wouldn't respond. Even though it was, you know, she was clearly awake, but she wouldn't say a word. She wouldn't say a word. And I would just say it night after night. Mom, I love you. Mom, I love you. And then finally one night she was like, stop saying it. I'm never going to say those words to you. No, you, you're a failure. You're, I mean, and I can't, I have to try to, you know, make it as, as G-rated as I can, but, you know, go, go away. And that was very, 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 very close because I, I, ha- I had this desire to just keep telling her that because I wanted to hear it. And it, that became, that was very, 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 very close to the time that I, when then was going to be, I, I was no longer going to be living with my family because of everything going on and then my mother's death. So, so for you, what, what, 
what do you think that kind of conversation would do for you? Like, like, forget, forget me, forget the hype, even, even if we just view it as a hypothetical, how would that impact you? Well, I cannot speak for everyone because I think everyone would have a very different reaction to it, but it led me and I, and I'm not going to say that this is a 100% accurate representation of who I am or my issues, because in many ways I feel like that I would be blaming my issues on, well, see it's, you know, it's, it's because of this. It's because of, it's because of that, that I'm this way. So I don't, I don't want to say that, you know, there's a direct correlation, but at least in certain areas of my life, in certain ways, something that is referred to as perfectionism clearly manifested in my life. Perfectionism. Now I'm going to, I'm going to give some, I'm going to give us a definition of perfectionism. I'm going to give you some examples of how it manifested in my life. You can determine whether you think that's perfectionism or not. Some people will say, ah, whatever, perfectionism. That's some psychological garbage. I don't believe in, I understand that. But I want to try to see and and talk about perfectionism and then try to to see, is there there a spiritual reason? In other words, I I can try to point perfectionism to my mother and these conversations that happened because they had a profound impact on my life. I can give you another example before I define perfectionism. I had worked hard to save up some money because it was, I think it was either, I think it was mother's, I think it was mother's day. Sometime I remember it as a different holiday, but I can think of at least maybe a Valentine's day, maybe a mother's day, but I can clearly, I don't. And so I may confuse the gifts, but I got my mom this beautiful, well, I thought it was beautiful, this beautiful glass mug. I don't know why I got her the glass mug. Maybe because I knew she you know, liked iced tea. Maybe I thought it would be cool. I, I don't know. I mean, I was, I was young. I, I, I you know, saved up some money and I went and bought her the mug and I was so excited. I'm like, okay, my mom's going to be happy. She looked at the mug, basically started laughing and said, this is the dumbest thing I have ever seen in my life. And then she smashed it on the floor in a million pieces. And at that moment, I was like, I, I'm, I, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm ne- now, I still tried in certain ways. Now, there came different points in my childhood. Obviously, I wasn't <laughs> perfect. Obviously, I wasn't, right? That's why she didn't love me. Obviously, I wasn't perfect. That's why she smashed the mug. I bought the wrong. Obviously, I failed her like a million different ways. And, and in some ways, I, I probably, you know, I, I deserved a, a lot of it probably because of my stupidity and my own wrong actions. But I, 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 I caught on really fast that, okay, approval requires almost requires perfection. I'll give you another example. My father teaching me football, teaching me football. So he takes me outside. I'm like kindergarten, first grade. And, uh, I, you know, I, I love football. I want to play football. So he takes the football and I don't, I'm not standing super far from him and he would throw it at me as hard as he could. I mean, as hard as he could. And if I dropped the ball, then I got hit. I got smacked because if you touch it, you catch it. You touch it, you catch it. You touch it, you catch it. You have to be perfect. You have to, you, you have to be perfect. Now, 
What's weird is they didn't always seem to demand that perfection. Like there were some ways they were like, yeah, whatever. So like it, it was, it was, it was, and that's, I've, I've always described my childhood as the, some of the most difficult parts of it was the, the weird inconsistency. So there was like a perfectionism and I know I haven't defined it yet, but I think you can get an idea really dri- driven into my mind, but there was other times it wasn't there. So let's define this. Let's define this. And I'll, and I'll tell more stories just because I want you to understand how this manifested in my life. All right. So perfectionism, here's one definition. Perfectionism in psychology is a broad personality style characterized by a person's concern with striving for flawlessness and perfection and is accompanied by critical self-evaluations and concerns regarding others' evaluations. Now, for me, the part that would be like, that doesn't really fit, is a concern regarding others' evaluations. Most of my life, I've been pretty much like, you know, you don't like it, you don't like me, walk away. I don't care. I just don't care. Like, I've not been one to ever really been bothered by it. There, there. I can think of a situation where I, yeah, but most of the time it's kind of like, I, I, I don't really care what anyone thinks. I'm not, I've never had an issue with peer pressure or I, I always would go against the crowd. I did not want their approval. I didn't care for it. I didn't desire it, didn't want it, didn't need it. But in every other de- de- description there of perfectionism, that's me. Uh, a broad personality style characterized by, uh, by a person's concern with striving for flawlessness and perfection and, a, and is accompanied by critical self-evaluations. Now, I think there's some, uh, uh, well, well, we'll get into some of that in a minute. Another definition of perfectionism, um, a refusal to accept any standard short of perfection, all right? A, um, it's also, uh, in this dictionary, um, a doctrine holding that religious, moral, social, or political perfection is attainable, especially the theory that human, moral, or spiritual perfection should be or has been attained. All right, so perfectionism. This, like, you, you've got to be perfect. You've got to be like, be flawless. You've got to do everything right. Now I can I can give you some examples of ways it did not manifest itself in my life. Like there's certain areas where I don't really I didn't really strive for it. Right? There's some and and there and and we could get into a whole psychological explanation of that. But I'm going to just explain some ways in which it shows up in my life. And some of these are going to be extremely extremely disturbing. All right. And there's just no way to get around this. There's just no way to get around this. But I want us to face it head on because maybe, you know, I don't, there's someone else out there who has struggled with perfectionism, but it manifested my in my life in really, really, really dark, 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 dark ways. That makes me sound like I'm borderline crazy, but. You know, hey, if we got to face it, we, we got because this is a real thing. And I think that there is, and you say, well, th- you're a theology podcast. Why? You? Because I think there, there, we have to look at this from a th- theological perspective, but we got to go through this dark journey to get there. So we're going to kind of just go through this dark, dark journey getting there. I cannot tell you 
the first time. I wish I could. I wish there was some way to go back and real to 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 know when it first happened. But at some point in my life, and it started relatively young, but it got worse and worse and worse and worse. Whenever I failed at something, it could be losing in a a, a game. It could be. It could be like a. It could be like any kind of a board game, uh, a card game. It could be any kind of sporting game. It could be. It could be a race. It could be anything. Any any time I would lose and not get first place, not win, or even if I was a team sport and I did not win. Maybe now this is not exactly the first. Well, okay, I'll give you kind of the precursor because I know I can date this. I was in. I was in uh, baseball as a child, like peewee baseball, right? Like, I mean, like I was young and we were playing a baseball game where in Abilene, Texas, if you drive past uh, Abilene High, Abilene High School, uh, there's a baseball, there used to be a baseball field. I'd have to look and see if it's still there. It was kind of, if you're looking at the school, it was over to the left and we were playing, you know, I mean, this is like, I mean, I'm young, first grade, second grade. I mean, I'm very, very young. And I'm on this team and these kids that I'm playing with just don't seem to care. They just like, whatever, you know, da-doom, da-doom, da-doom. We win, we lose. Hey, mom. Yeah, they're just, I don't know what they're doing. And I'm on the baseball diamond losing my mind, right? I am like yelling at kids. I'm trying to shove kids out of the way because I'm like, no, if you can't, I'll, I'll catch the ball. I'm trying to go from outfield to first base to second base. I'm just yelling and screaming, losing my mind. Like we have to win. Like if, because I knew if, if I lost, I was going to get in trouble when I got home. I knew because it was, you win perfection. You don't tolerate losing. Right. And I'm just losing it. So the game's over, right? And I'm just like, I won't shake hands with the other kids. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm screaming at the kids that I'm playing. I'm just losing my ever living mind, right? So we come off the, the baseball diamond and they have like an ice chest and all of these snacks. And I'm like, I got tears coming down my face because I can't believe we just lost. And I'm like, I can't believe it. I'm like, why, why would you be giving losers snacks. So I, I lose it. I just start, I, I go, I take the ice chest. I start throwing everything. I start throwing the, the, the drinks I start throwing and I had to be restrained because I, I, I was like, losers don't deserve snacks. They don't, they don't, you have to be per- winners deserve it, but not losers. I think that was an early manifestation of this perfectionism. I don't think there's any way to get around it, right? But that's, that's, you're like, okay, that's just kind of foolish. That's, you probably don't even think that's a big deal. And it's probably not a big deal compared to where things were going. I don't know from that moment to when it first happened, but, and I don't know what it was immediately related to, but at some point, either I messed up at home and I made my parents mad or I did something at school or I, lost at a game, but at some point, and I, and I'm, and I wish you could see this, but I have my right hand, my right hand, and I messed up and I, I'm slapping myself. 
I started hitting myself. Every time I would mess up, I would absolutely hit myself hard. Sometimes I'd take a belt and smack my back with it, right? Now, I already had the physical abuse happening with my parents, but it was almost like if they weren't doing it, then I would do it to myself. And at times it would probably just, just seem like, ah, stupid, you know, ah, no big deal. But it, and maybe, maybe it was not the biggest deal. Maybe, maybe it wasn't. Um, But it, it got darker and it got darker and it got darker and it got darker and it got, it got more violent. It got more, it took on a, a more sinister tone. Like, you know, it almost like a, like you deserve to die. It got, it got ugly, 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 ugly. And I would, if I wrote a story about me messing up, about me failing, even though it wasn't like the story hadn't even happened, but I, I was writing it from my, like I'm involved in the story and I messed up. I did this wrong. I, I would, I would once again, harm myself. I would harm myself. And it was like, it was, it got ugly, 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 ugly. And I could go through, I'll, I'll, I'll give you, uh, so I, I, I can give you one crazy example, all right? One crazy example, playing volleyball in school. It's like recess. It's like high school now. Now we're in high school. And the, and the hitting myself was getting pretty, pretty bad. It was getting pretty bad. And um, something went wrong in volleyball and I lost it. And I just started, I mean, just tearing into myself. And I basically had given myself a concussion. Like I had given, like I was concussed is how hard I was hitting myself. And I was, I was stumbling around and I ended up going down. They had to call in an ambulance. It, it, I mean, I, I did actual damage to myself, but it kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. It, 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 it did not, it did not get any better. I mean, it got, it got really bad. So even, even if it was a perceived wrong, I would do this. And it, 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 it got so bad. And many of you know the story. My, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump a little bit out of chronological order, but you'll see. My uh, mother dies, right? We didn't get a chance to reconcile. There was no, nothing. It all went horribly wrong. And everybody knows that I tried to kill myself. And someone saved my life, and I end up in a psychiatric hospital for eight weeks. Now, in that psychiatric hospital, they I, I wasn't necessarily telling them all of my issues and all of my problems. They were obviously seeing them being manifested over and over and over and over and over and over again. And the, and the one that I think shocked them the most is we're playing, I don't even know what the name of the game was. We had these paddles. It wasn't like, it wasn't like ping pong. It was like a, on a court, I, but it was some kind of paddle. And I don't know exactly what was going on, but we were so close to winning my team. And I think there was like two of us and two of them. I, I don't remember exactly the structure of the game, but I just remember the paddle. That's all I remember. And we lost. And I just started well, I mean, I started hitting myself so hard with the, I, I was bleeding. I was just bam, bam. And they were like, they were trying to pull the paddle out of my hands. And they're like, no, 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 no. That's unacceptable. That cannot happen. That will never happen again. So they went literally and purchased a heavy bag that you use in boxing. 
and they put in the corner. And anytime then, anytime something would go wrong, my I, that was given. I could go. I, I was allowed to go punch the bag. Now, it, the only reason this worked, because because in my mind was like that's stupid. The bag didn't mess up. I, in fact, I told I had this big conflict with them that night. I'm like, go buy a bag. It's stupid. The bag didn't mess up. You're just denying my responsibility for failure. You want it. You want. You don't want to deal with reality. You don't want to deal with the fact that I messed up. You. I said you're not helping me. If you helped me, you would say you're right. You messed up. Do better. But you're allowing me to get away from my mistake by hitting a stupid bag. So, but I caught on. I caught on quick. I could go hit the bag. And if I hit the bag long and hard enough, I could bust open my knuckles until I was bleeding. And then I could feel the pain. I don't know. I don't, they didn't necessarily catch on. And I think they started realizing ultimately, I think it took a while to realize, wait a minute. So then they ended up getting gloves. And it it didn't, I don't, I never really felt the satisfaction because I felt that I was, why am I, the bag didn't do anything wrong. I'm the one who messed up. I'm the one who should be punished. But that's how dark the situation got. And they tried to offer, you know, your basic human psychological, you know, hey, you know, answers. But I, I just felt that it was all excusing my behavior. Like, like you know, they, they couldn't tell me why perfect. All they could tell me is nobody is perfect. But I'm like, well, that's a stupid answer, right? Because obviously, if nobody is perfect, then why was I getting beat for not being perfect? Okay, so, and they tried to work through it. And I'm not going to say it was, I'm not going to say it was horrible. I'm, I'm, in other words, I'm not going to say that their advice was horrible or their counsel was horrible. It just didn't, it didn't stick. But but I did have a kind of a reprieve. There was a little bit of, I feel a little bit of like, okay, maybe I can accept this. Maybe I can understand this. But then... Now, Christianity came a little before I ended up in the psychiatric hospital. But remember, I'm still new to the whole Christian world. I'm still trying to figure it out. But all of a sudden, my perfectionism enters and merges with my Christian life. Oh, oh, no, no, no. This gets bad. This gets so bad. This gets horrible. Because now... I'm going to reach over my book bag. I have this. I have this. I have God's word. Now, at the very, 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 very beginning, I've told the story before. I was in a a Southern Baptist church in Tuscola, Texas. I could take you to the church today. I was sitting in the pew. I ended up there. I'm in high school it's just so only reason I end up there is because I was going to get beat at home. And so I went to the church because these girls asked me to come to the church because I was taking up for them because some Satanist was lying to them about what Satanism was. And so they invite me to this revival service. I don't, I can't tell you for a second what was preached. I cannot tell you anything. Here's all I remember. I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't do things right. And you're telling me Jesus loves me. You're telling me Jesus died for me. Like I'm the, I messed up. Why would he die for me? Like Jesus died for me. I'm the sinner. Like, like that doesn't make any sense. And all of a sudden it just like, I couldn't believe it. I, I, I broke emotionally. Wait a minute. 
Jesus is not mad at me. He loves me and he died for, I, I could not comprehend that. I could not comprehend it. And I just laid in the pew and I started wailing. I just started, so, I mean, like uncontrollable sobbing. I think some kids from the school thought I was having a drug, you know, a drug trip. I don't know what they thought. And I just wailed and well, and, and they stopped. It got so bad. They stopped the service. They just literally stopped the service and had an altar call, whatever you think about the, the theology of altar calls. And I, I ran straight up there. I ran straight up there and said, oh, yeah, yeah, you don't have to tell me. I, I know I'm a sinner. I can tell you every sin I've ever committed. And they were like, you know, trust in Jesus and his finished work. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, you're forgiven. And I'm like, wait, I'm forgiven? Like, like yeah, all your mistakes are forgiven. They're all forgiven? Now, that sounds like a good story, right? It sounds like a good story. And it was a good story. But at some point, say, I got this. And guess what I found out? This is filled with do this, do this, do this, be holy, be perfect as your heavenly father in heaven is perfect, be perfect, be perfect, be holy, be perfect, don't do this, don't do that. And all of a sudden, guess what started happening? I started sinning. I mean, I never stopped, but obviously now I had more information about things that I didn't know was wrong. And I started realizing I'm not, I didn't do this right. I didn't do this right. And guess what entered into my Christian life? Every time I would commit a sin, Every time I would commit a sin. It started becoming almost torture in a way because I couldn't understand. Now, then I, I you know, the, the, the Christianity that at, at that time, you know, uh, the gospel according to Jesus by John MacArthur was now this book sweeping through Christianity. And I started embracing this lordship idea. So then I started questioning whether I was even saved. I even got so concerned that I went and asked if I was demon possessed because I didn't know what, why am I keep, nobody could give me a good answer other than you keep sinning, you keep sinning, you keep sinning. And I was like, there's, there's gotta be an answer. There's gotta be an answer. So in some ways, I never really came up with an answer. I just try to compart, compart, I, I try to place, I can speak correctly. I tried to place things in different compartments, right? And so what I started doing is trying to look at what I did so well. And so then what I started, this is how I kind of started doing this. Um, I started focusing on the areas that I knew that I could be better than everyone else. Okay, I'm going to read more than everyone else. Check. I'm going to know more than everyone else. Check. I'm going to listen to more sermons than everyone else. Check. I'm going to read more th theology books than anyone else. Check. I'm going to do more Bible studies than anybody else. Check. I'll, I'll stay up all night and do devotionals for eight hours. Check. I'll pray more than other people. Check. And I started doing, and so then I started feeling like, see, 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 I'm, I'm being perfect. I'm being perfect. But I had to kind of minimize where I wasn't being perfect. I had to try to place it in a different compartment, right? I had to, I had to, I had to do that because if I didn't, if I didn't, oh, everything would cave in. But guess what started happening? It started leading to pride and arrogance and, and condemning and self-righteousness. It started having this really profoundly negative impact on me.
All right. And you would think that things got better, but no, I w- there was this never ending struggle with, okay, I'm supposed, I, I can be perfect and, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do, this. I'm going to read more. I'm going to study more. I'll do 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 more. I can do this. I can do this. And it was, it was a lot of, even though there was sin, I was, str- I mean, there was, it was a mess. It was ugly, messy. And I won't go through all the details. It was messy, but it all the way, it entered all the way into the world of, podcasting. Way back then, I started posting, as soon as I became a pastor, posting sermons online. Started posting online. I was already doing a tape ministry before that. So I I mean, I was doing podcasting before anyone ever ever even heard of the word. I was just going to put out content any way and shape and form that I could. And for the most part, things went okay. They, there was nothing really dark about it. Most of it was just sermons I recorded at. Now, there was a lot of times I would leave church and say, that is not going online. That will not, and hit myself for, for messing up in a sermon. Okay. And, and, and it got really bad. And there was some people at church who basically was like, you got to stop doing that. You, you, they didn't know I was hitting myself, but they were like, you got to stop just del- not putting your sermons online. We want the sermons on. Stop doing that. Right. It was okay. It was okay. Now, but the problem is they didn't understand. Okay. Wasn't good enough. I wanted them to say it was perfect. It was the best sermon ever. They wouldn't say that, but I knew that I was starting to irritate people because they were like, Hey, I, I missed. And where's the sermon? And, and I'm like, okay, 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 okay. I'll get it. But then I started like officially now podcasting. Now at that time, I didn't have the ability to go live. All I could do was record each episode. I could just record each episode. I couldn't do a live broadcast. And this is what happened. I would record and I would say, good evening, everyone. Welcome. It is. And I would give the date or I would give the time and something that my welcome didn't sound right. The February, 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 and I, and I, no, I, it's Wednesday. Did I say Wednesday correctly? Tuesday. And I, and I would record a little bit, stop, delete, start over, record, stop, delete, start over, stop, delete, start over, stop, delete, start. So like a 45 minute program may, would literally take me sometimes four or five hours, which then I would be furious with myself. Because then, because then I would be like, okay, I'm not sleeping. I would, I would go 72 hours, sometimes more, not sleeping, trying to record as many programs as I could because, I, because it was taking so long to get one. And guess what I started doing? You can probably guess now. You're getting, you're getting, you're getting the theme. You're getting the idea. Guess what I would do? And not with an open hand. I started with my fist pounding the side of my head over and over and over and over and over again. Every time I would make a mistake. There were times I would leave my study where I was and I would be bruised. And this had massive negative consequences on my family, massive negative consequences on me. It got horrible. It got bad. 
In fact, it got to a point that I was almost like, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't, I don't even want to do this anymore. I got in a dark, dark, dark place. And that's why now I will only, like I've said, if I can't live broadcast, I, I would not be, I would never do a podcast again. I can't, I have to do it live. I have to, I have to, I have to, because mm-mm, I'll, I'll start like, it, it, I, I, you say, and I couldn't understand how other people could do it. They just turn on a microphone. If they misspoke, like now, even now you, you summed, it happened just the other day. Now I did not hit myself, but just the other day I was doing a today's focus on who paid the price and, and Grudem's systematic theology on the PDF file I had was written really weird. So I was like, I was trying to design a point, And then uh, I was like, wait a minute, that Grudem, Grudem just lost me. And I, and I did not catch it before I started. I mean, I looked at everything, but I didn't just catch it. Oh, um, I, I, I deleted it. 45 minutes. I immediately got, I deleted it. The, uh, trying to read, um, Tertullian on baptism. Oh man, I've messed up some, some words I should have gotten right. Oh man. I, I've been, I, I, I've been delaying posting them on certain, uh, on some of the apps on the church one app. I've been, I've been, I almost deleted them. I, I, I uploaded one today and I'm going to upload another one tomorrow because I, I was, I was contemplating deleting them. I was contemplating deleting them. Now I, I, I don't, I don't do this. I don't do this. I've, I've tried to, I've tried to keep that under control. I've tried to keep that under control, but all of that demonstrates To me, classic examples of perfectionism. Classic examples of perfectionism. Now, I know I have taken 33 minutes to try to describe it. To try to describe it. Now, in a lot of ways, I feel when I learned the story of Martin Luther and his struggles leading up to the Protestant Reformation, right? Him doing things to himself because of his sin, his struggling with always feeling guilty, 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 guilty before God, going to confession, going to confession, and just so like, like almost like he was losing his mind. I'm like, Luther, you got nothing. You got nothing on me, man. I, I, I hear you, Luther. I understand because you want to be perfect. You want to be, I mean, as a Christian, don't you want to be perfect? I mean, God sent his only son to die for you. I mean, don't you want to, like, I understand I I wasn't perfect then, but now that I've been forgiven, shouldn't I be perfect? Shouldn't I? And strive and strive and strive and strive and strive for it. I, I, at least I've understood that. So this is, this has manifested in my life so many ways and it's dark it's embarrassing. It's humiliating. It's, trust me. I I would, I don't want to be, I don't want to be talking about this right now. Trust me, trust me. But I just think it, if I've gone through this, I've got to talk about it so that others, there's got to be someone else out there who can understand. There's got to be someone who can understand this. There's got to be, there's got to be, I can't be the only one. I mean, there's an, there's actual definitions about it. So I can't be the only one. I don't know if it always leads to self-harm. I don't know it all, if it leads to, but for me, the lack of perfection demands punishment, right? This is the way love demands perfection. The lack of perfection, then, then you don't love the person. Like if you really love the person, you would be perfect. 
And if you don't love the person, why would they love you? Because you're not perfect. They, you, you, that's, that's the way it should work, right? Okay, that right? Should, okay, okay, well, nobody's saying yes, okay, but it, that's the way it should work. Okay, if I'm a Christian, if I love God, what, I mean, I can even pull out scripture to prove it, right? If you love me, come on, everyone, keep my commandments. It's literally in scripture. Be ye perfect as your heavenly father is imperfect. Be ye holy as I'm holy. I mean, I got all these scriptures that seem to demand perfection. And, and what I get is, well, we should be, we can be, but I mean, if we're not, and it's like, no, I, I, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to have this. I've got to have this. I've got to have this. So there's, so I would just, I, I want you to think about this. It, it, go back to my original start, my original intro. Mom, I love you. What would you do? How would that conversation impact you? If your mom is like, I don't love you and I'll never will love you because you're not perfect. Would that lead to perfectionism in you? So I think that we can point to perfectionism can be the result of something that's happened to you. There's no way to deny that because obviously from a psychological standpoint, you typically look to your environment or trauma or maybe just something, you know, going on in your brain. But from a spiritual perspective, from a spiritual perspective, I'm just going to throw this out. I'm not, I'm not, this is not, I'm not being dogmatic, but from a theological perspective, do you think the fact that God's law is written on our heart? I mean, that's where that internal sense of guilt comes from. That's where that internal sense of shame comes from. We've got God's law written on our heart. We know we don't live up. We know we don't. I mean, I've read articles before in saying that one of the number one things people go to a psychologist for is, is into counseling is for this overwhelming sense of guilt, this overwhelming sense of a lack of self-worth and, and self-loathing and hating and, and, and not being happy, is it because we have God's law written on our heart that just seems to me keep saying, you don't measure up. You're a failure. You're a sinner. You don't measure up. You're a f-. Do you think that there's a theological explanation? I'm just, I'm just speculating. But it, that deep inside of us, there's a standard. We don't keep it. So we constantly feel, now we may blame it on a million. We may blame it on our parents. We may blame it on society. We may blame it on the church. We may, but maybe all of those voices that we blame, maybe the voice is come. Maybe the call is coming inside of the house and it's God's law saying, Hey, 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 you don't live up. You don't, you don't live up to the standard. You don't measure up. You're a failure. You're a failure. You're a failure. You're a failure. Now, the only problem with my my theory, my thesis is not a lot of people, not everyone struggles with perfectionism. So, so maybe that voice, God's law is written on our hearts. That's a fact. That's still logical. But maybe, maybe that fact leads to people handling it in very different ways. Now, for me, I, I can't say necessarily it's God's law written on my heart that caused all of this because I can d- have a direct cause. Now, here's the question. And I've struggled with this my whole life. And I even had a Christian counselor try 
to help me with this. Now, we got into a big, you know, I go to a Christian counselor and I, and I start arguing with the counselor over theology. So I, I'm not, I'm not a good, I'm not good for counseling because I'm like, oh, oh, no, you, no, you're wrong. Okay. Because basically he tried to give me a gospel perspective, right? Hey, you're not perfect. None of us are. That's why Jesus came to die for us. And he tried to give me a, like, try to view this from a gospel perspective. The problem is, the problem is, I'm like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're trying to sell me this bill of goods that sell me. No, you see, before I became saved, I can look at all of my past mistakes from a gospel perspective, but don't you understand from this point forward, aren't we told to, hey, you're a new creature and all the old things gone and everything's new. Well, then I should be perfect, right? I should be new, right? I should be holy, right? I mean, I'm called to do this, right? Well, then he he had a hard time. He's like, well, I mean, I mean, we are called. Well, if I'm called to do that, then are you excusing not doing it? That's why lordship was so appealing to me, right? Because lordship is like, no, there's no excuse. If you keep living this way, you are never saved. I, I can get down with that, right? Because... Then, then, then there wasn't any, anything else that was like, you're just excusing it. You can just live any way you want. But do you think in a, in a roundabout way, do you think the church promotes a perfectionism inside people? Now, some would say the church perfects, uh, promotes more of a, a carefree attitude. And I think some churches do, some churches don't. But what's a biblical approach? For me, what's been very freeing is to realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. My salvation has nothing to do with me. It's all based off the finished work of Jesus Christ, that that in Christ, I am perfect, I am holy, I meet all the standards, I pass every test. Whatever test you give me in scripture, right? If, if, you, if you love God, well, then you're, you're a child of God. Okay, well, I love God in Christ Jesus. Like every test is met in Christ Jesus. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, I don't, but Christ did keep your commandments. Therefore, I, in, in Christ, I do love you. In Christ, I am holy. In Christ, I, that's the only way I can ever understand it. And that was freeing. That was freeing to me. That was, that was very freeing in my relationship with God. And it, and it was very transformative. So now I try to look at my Christian life very much from a gospel-minded basis that, look, my life, I, I am a sinner and I mess up in thought, word, and deed. But in Christ Jesus, all of it's been paid for. I am free. I, I, the gospel has set me free completely and that everything is paid for. Everything is good. His imputed righteousness declares me perfect. In Christ Jesus, I am perfect. In Christ Jesus, my sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. All of my sins have been paid for. No one can lay the charge at God's, at, at God's elect. And none, I, I am justified. I am declared perfect and righteous. Now, yes, I know other Christians will condemn me and say, well, you made this mistake and you made this mistake and that, and, and you should never do this and you should never speak again and you should probably be dead. I, I understand Christians can come with their, you know, pitchforks and their torches and, and they can, you know, they can bring their rocks and they, I, I, fine. I, I don't even really care any, anymore what Christians think. I, I, now, there's a part of me that there's still that, that perfectionism in, in me because I wish I could say, hey, ladies and gentlemen, 
I sit in front of this microphone tonight and I am, I have been perfect in my Christian life. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm the best Christian. You, I wish I could say that. I'm the best podcaster. I'm the best preacher. I'm the best theologian. I'm the best Bible teacher. I wish I could say that. I wish. And I wish that, and that nobody could make any accusation at me at all, because all I could say is, sorry, I've been perfect. You can't accuse me of anything. The reality is I've messed up so many different ways. I have hurt people, hurt the name of Christ, failed, 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 over and over and over and over and over. And there's nothing I can do about that. In some weird way, at least within my Christianity, I'm able to accept my imperfection. Like within my Christianity, I have learned to go, I'm, I'm not perfect. Christ is. I'm not perfect, but it, all of my imperfection, all, all of that sin has been paid for. I am, I am declared perfect and righteous and holy because of faith alone, not because of what I do. So in some ways in my Christian life, I've learned to be able to embrace it a little bit better. But the problem is, how do I bring a gospel mindset. How do I bring a gospel mindset into every other area of my life? How do I bring a gospel mindset into the fact that in many of my podcasts, I don't pronounce words correctly? How do I bring a gospel mindset into the fact that many times live on the air, it's not proper subject verb agreement? How do I bring a gospel mindset into the fact that time and time again, I will be in front of this microphone and I'll use a double negative? How do I bring a gospel mindset that time and time again, I'll be here behind this microphone and I'll swallow weird. There'll be some, or, or start, I'll be swallowing a lot or, or I'll have to pause or, or maybe I'll have to mute, mute the mic to sneeze. Maybe I'll lose my place or I'll, or I'll read scripture and I'll, I'll say a word incorrectly or, or whatever the case may be. Mistake after mistake after mistake. Because listen, I go back and listen to my episodes and I, and I can pinpoint every mistake that I've ever made. And it, it is the most painful exercise on the face of the earth. But how do I bring a gospel? Because some people say, well, you just need to view that from a gospel mindset. Jesus came to die for my sins. He didn't come to take care of my some sound my voice makes, my throat makes. He didn't come to, he didn't, he didn't come. If, if I'm holding a bottle of water and I hear this in the background, but I didn't stop to explain to everyone what it was. Well, that that's, that's garbage. That's garbage. Or I'm sitting here reading scripture and then I'll, I'll listen and I'll notice that I'm, see, I'm over here looking down on my iPad. I'm not talking into the microphone. I'm like, that was true. That was garbage. What was that? What was that? What was that? I, Jesus didn't die for that. Like I can say, I need to look at it from a gospel way, but how does a gospel way fix that, right? Because I made those mistakes and there's no excuse for it. Well, here's one. How do I have a gospel mindset when you mess up in a relationship? 
And I'm not talking anything sinful. I'm just talking a mistake. I'm just talking a failure. Jesus didn't die for that mistake. He died for my sin. If it's a sin, then I can say, yeah, that person may never forgive me, but at least in Christ Jesus, I'm forgiven. At least I can cling on to, I got something to cling on to. Like, in other words, I may wake up one day and everyone hates me and everyone says I'm a failure and I have no one. Praise God, at least I know one thing I have is my salvation because he will never leave me nor forsake. Everyone else will leave me and forsake me because I'm an idiot and I'm a loser, but at least I know I can cling to that. So at least from a gospel mindset, there's some parts I can, I can grab onto, but like, how do I deal with, well, I made a mistake in, in here. What do I do? What do I do? What, how many times do I beat myself? How many times do I hit myself? Well, you're not supposed to do that because that's crazy talk. Okay. Well then how do I deal with it? What do I do if I lose in basketball? What do I do? Do I say good game? Not a good game for me. Maybe a good game for you if you won. Not so much for me. How do I bring a gospel mindset into that? Now, everyone loves to say that. I'll I'll give you an example. Let's give you an example. We're going to have to stop. I know I'm gone later than I'm supposed to. And I know I've spent, I say, I'm already, see what I'm doing. I'm already now criticizing how I've done this broadcast because I already know I gave too many examples. I told too many stories and I should have spent more time. And I already can, I can anticipate the emails where the criticisms are going to come. You spent way too much time. You should have spent more time doing that. I can, I already hear you. All right. Uh. So, uh, so an article says, uh, this article says this, uh, perfectionism, perhaps your greatest weakness, could it be leading, the leading cause of your anxiety? Now, I have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Now, this had more to do with my seizures and all the things that happened to me in the military. But I often wonder how much it's connected to my perfectionism, right? I, I wonder, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I think I've always, I think I'm, being, I'm able to handle it really well. I'm not, I'm not able to handle my perfectionism. I still struggle with that in certain ways. It says perfectionism promises to paint a calming picture for us of soft blues and greens and some yellow too. It promises that your life will be be more organized and successful. It promises to make you into a picture of perfection. No mistakes, no flaws, no drips, no red hues. But is that the life perfectionism actually paints for you? Now, for me, perfectionism does promise me a lot. See, it promises me that, hey, that person that I love, I mean, what better way, I mean, to show love than be perfect? I mean, come on. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be the greatest way to show someone you love them is to be perfect? But you know what you realize? You're not. So then you're like, well, then why, why would they, why would they care? Why, why? I mean. They shouldn't be with me. I, 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 I can't be perfect. And not only that, then you realize, well, wait a minute, you don't deserve that. 
but perfectionism promises me like, can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine what it would be like to be the best podcaster ever? Can you, can you imagine what that, that you have the best Christian podcast? Can you imagine what that would be like? That you're the best basketball player. You're the best football player. You're the best runner. You're the best preacher, right? Do you know what it would be like to stand in, at, a, at a pulpit and see not a small little church in the middle of nowhere, Texas, in a broken down building, but nice building with hundreds and hundreds of people and everyone's like patting you, go, man, that was the greatest sermon. You're the best preacher. What? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome for people to go, man, you're the best looking man I have ever seen. Oh, I mean, if you're a woman, obviously you wouldn't want that, but you're the best looking man. I've never seen someone look better than you. Man, wouldn't it be perfect if your hair was perfect? Wouldn't it be great if your teeth was perfect? Wouldn't it be better if your eyes were perfect? Your face flawless? Your hands perfect? Your height perfect? Wouldn't that be great? Sexiest man alive. Wouldn't that be awesome? Strongest man alive. Fastest man alive. Wouldn't that be awesome? Oh, come on. It, okay, may, maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm the only one. But it, perfectionism promises me that. Like perfectionism tells me, hey, while everyone else is willing to accept mediocrity, while everyone else is willing to accept Second place. No, 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 no. Second place is just the first place loser. There is no way I'm accepting second place. It's first place or it's it's destruction. I think perfectionism does. Pro- Can you imagine being a Christian where you are the most godly? You ha- You pray the best. You have the best theology. Can you imagine to be able to stand before God and say, hey, hey, I mean, don't you, have you heard all those sermons? When you stand before God, you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I thought I could do that. And then I realized I'm never going to do, I am never going to accomplish that. And then I realized, oh, I will in Christ Jesus, in Christ, well done, good and faithful servant, because Christ is the good and faithful servant. trying to expedite this so that we can get some more of this done. Here we go. Despite its promises, perfectionism instead paints a fiery picture with bright red strokes at random all over the canvas. It fills us with panic, fear, worry, and despair. We desperately try to meet the standards it sets, but we will always finish anywhere from miles to inches away from the goal. Perfectionism is a hopeless pursuit. It sets an impossible standard for us, and that ticks me off. I don't want to hear that it sets an an impossible standard. It's impossible for you. You sit back and watch. I'm going to do it. That's the way I think. Don't tell me I can't. Don't tell me I won't be perfect. How dare you say that to me? I'll show you. 
Now, I've, I can embrace that I won't be in my Christianity. See, I've learned to embrace that. I've learned to let that anxiety go, that in Christ, that's my only hope. But in life and in a relationship and this, that, in podcasting, how dare you tell me I won't be perfect? How dare you tell me that? But see, I've purposely, purposely, on purpose, forced myself to not edit my podcast. Now, there's times I do. Those are rare. But I force myself, do it live. People will hear your mistakes in real time. You can't correct them. If I mispronounce a word, I can't fix it. Now, I've done this on purpose. One, because I know I can't do podcasting the old way. So that's number one. Number two, I've done it this way to force me every single day to humiliate myself, embarrass myself, and be confronted with how stupid I can be and how poorly I speak and how foolish I sound. And it's out there. I don't overproduce it, right? I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't do the things to cover my mistake. I, I, if like there's a subject that I probably, like, you know what? I should just avoid that because you're going to mispronounce that word, right? I, there's little things I could do, right? There's little things I could do. Hey, don't do a, don't do a sermon review until you've heard the sermon so that you know exactly what, what they're going to be talking about this. Make sure you look up that Greek or Hebrew word before because then but guess what? If I mess, if I mess up, I can, I, there's these little things I could do to, but I don't because I want to force myself to be confronted with, you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't do it. So that is a big step for me and trying to fix it. I try. Now you'll, you'll hear me, you hear me make the excuses all the time, right? I want this to be raw. I want this to be real. I want this to be organic. And there's truth to that, but really, you know why I'm doing it? Because I've got to be slapped in the face with the reality. You're never going to be perfect ever. Now, theologically, I've got it down. You're right. I know I need the gospel. I know, but in everyday life, let's see where they go with this. I'm going to stop in just a second. Perfectionism brings misery because it tries to control what cannot be controlled and therefore never allows us to enjoy life. Nothing is done in the name of freedom, but must be done in a slavish way in order to be perfected. Oh, man. I'm right, I'm right here. I haven't left. Nothing can be done in the name of freedom, but must be done in a slavish way in order to be perfected. I try to ensure that this podcast never becomes that again. But, oh, I know that I, it, it no longer became fun. It became a misery. This, the process cannot be enjoyed because it may lead to a flaw or failure. Can't enjoy podcasting because it can lead to a flaw or failure. Even after the project or task is finished, you still can't enjoy it because something may not be perfect. We are filled with worry over blemishes, even ones people cannot see. Perfectionism sets impossible standards for us. 
that we would be always that we would always be perfect 100% of the time but this is their hope or this is their answer but god paints a hope filled picture with bright yellow grace and light glowing orange like the clear sunrise god knows we are imperfect sinful human beings though he commanded perfect obedience we could not attain it in fact We didn't even want to. For that reason, he sent his son. Christ, the perfect God-man. Christ who lived the perfect life we could not live. Christ who came to earth as a baby and obeyed God's law without the slightest wavering or fault. Christ who died on the cross to pay penalty for every believer's sin. We deserve God's wrath for our sin, which is ultimately death and hell. But Christ, he took our place. He bore the wrath meant for us. Then he rose to life, showing us that the sin was conquered, setting the pattern and securing the promise for every believer to rise to eternal life. Colossians 2, 13 through 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood, uh, that stood against us with its legal demands. This is set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, this imperfect hour may not be of much help to anyone else. But I'll end with where I am tonight. I understand that when it comes to sin, Christ paid for it all. I'm perfect in him. And, my, and I don't need to be perfect because my salvation is not based on anything I do. It's based on everything he did. And that even as a Christian, I will never be perfect. I will fall short over and 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 over again. And I'm no longer going to pretend that I'm better than I think I am or that I, I'm going to pretend to be better than I am. I'm going to be I'm going to be as real and as honest and tell people that I'm a failure and that I'm a sinner and that I my mind is filled with thoughts that I shouldn't have and I desire things I shouldn't have. I, I know how messed up I am and I'm no longer going to going to pretend, you know, oh, no, 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 no. If you don't do this, you don't do this. You're probably not a Christian because then I'm not a Christian and nobody else is a Christian. I'm just going to be raw and honest. I've got that part figured out. The part I can't figure out is the rest of my life where I'm like, I need to be perfect. I need to be perfect. I need to be perfect. And I need to be perfect. And I need to be perfect. And I need to be perfect. But here's the only way I can process this. And I'm not saying I do a very good job of it is this. If in the most important relationship, if in the most important relationship with would be me with the creator, me with God, God so understood my imperfection that the only way to save me was to send his, to send his son to die for me. Meaning that he know that he knew that I was so imperfect that his own son had to die for me. If in that relationship I cannot be perfect enough, and it required the eternal Son of God to literally die for me, then why can't why do I expect that in any other area of my life I can reach perfection? If I can't reach perfection in the most important relationship, which is with the Creator, 
Why do I think that my imperfection would disappear in every other area of my life? It's got to be there because I'm an imperfect person at the very essence in my very being. Now, the problem is, see, I feel like that's making excuses. That's making excuses. But in a roundabout way, I feel like, and I, and I know this, and it's, that in a roundabout way, what I'm saying to God is, you don't know what you're talking about. I can be perfect. Oh, you, you, you didn't give me a chance. See, you had to send Jesus die for me. Okay, you took care of that, but you watch. I may not be able to be holy as God is holy, but you watch. And this relationship, perfect love, perfect love. You watch it. Wait, wait. Oh, you, you watch this. Perfect sermons. Wait, you watch. Perfect podcasting. Wait, perfect. You, you, you just gave up on me too. That, you see how stupid that is? I'm almost calling God a liar. It's almost like, God, you thought I couldn't be perfect, but you what? I'll be perfect. You had to take care of all of that. I'll be perfect in these other 32 areas. But how could I be perfect in these other 32, 32 areas if I could not be perfect in this one? My relationship with the creator, just simply obeying his commands. And if you think about it, Obviously, I can't love perfectly because God calls me to love others perfectly. So if I could do that, I wouldn't need Jesus to die for me. So my perfectionism is really me telling God, You don't know what's best. You're wrong. And that I don't need you. I don't need your blood. I don't need the blood of your son. I don't need his righteousness. I don't need his forgiveness. Because I can do it. And is that not pure, evil pride? My perfectionism proves how imperfect I really am. You can contact me at newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. God bless.